You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. So I get requests from time to time to feature women in alternative sports. So this week, I am quite excited to announce that I have a doozy. Dragon boat racing. Yep, dragon boat racing. And if I'm honest, this week's guests actually found me. Chris Head, who is a dragon boat newbie, emailed me and said she had heard so many great sports on the show, rock climbing and biking and triathlon and ultra running and so forth, but I had never mentioned dragon boat racing. She went on to explain how instrumental it has been for her as a breast cancer survivor to find this amazing team of dragon boat racers, the Dragon Divas, a team of breast cancer survivors. Then she went on to explain how they had just worked with another amazing dragon boat racer, Connie Flisoris, who has a dragon boat training business in Portland, Oregon, and has coached the USA national team and helped create the first breast cancer survivor dragon boat team in the United States. Contacted Connie, and she told me that she had started a team called Power Surge for 40-plus aged women because they aren't hot flashes, they're power surges. And she feels that women in our demographic are uniquely positioned to be amazing dragon boat racers. Naturally, I had to have them both on. Their love for this unique, interesting sport beams from them, and it was such a fun conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Before we get to it, quick weekly reminder to come join us on our social media channels. We're at Feisty Menopause on Instagram and Facebook. We have a private Hit Play Not Pause Facebook channel where you can come in and join about 8,000 women and ask anything that's on your mind. And if you want to deep dive into all things active menopausal living, we've got the Feisty Menopause membership where we offer in-depth materials, expert webinars, and sponsor discounts. You can learn all about that at feistymenopause.com. You can also come in and still get the replays from our summit at feistymenopause.com. If you want to reach me, I have my email, hitplaynotpause at livefeisty.com. And as always, thank you for your kind messages, five-star ratings, and great reviews. The show is continuing to grow, as is my heart. Thank you so much. Okay, enough of me. Let's have a quick word from our awesome sponsors and get on with the show. Like many of you, I try to eat well, train well, take the supplements I need, and track my recovery, sleep, and progress. So imagine my surprise when I found out I had elevated blood sugar, high cortisol, out-of-whack lipids, and was borderline anemic. Yeah, all while I was racing well and feeling actually pretty great. Turns out, all of my training stress was taking a hidden toll. How did I find out? Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is a service that analyzes your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers to provide you a personalized, science-based, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is simpler, cheaper, and more convenient than traditional blood tests, and their blood tests also include biomarkers that are key to performance 
that you don't get from traditional blood tests like ferritin and vitamin D. My favorite part, they don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. And I've taken those actions myself and have been improving those markers and ultimately my health. So for a limited time, my friends at Inside Tracker are offering my listeners 25% off their entire store. So go to insidetracker.com slash feistymenopause to take advantage of that offer. Again, it's insidetracker.com slash feistymenopause. I can tell you it works. I have a pronouncement to make. I am wiggling my toes. Why am I making this seemingly ridiculous pronouncement? Because it's been a long time since I could. Specifically, my right big toe. See, I have a bone spur at the base of that right toe that is so big, my podiatrist said it looks like a party hat. And it has caused anything but a party in my foot. It has caused a lot of inflammation and stiffness And there are times when it's been barely functional. I work through it. I have taken some anti-inflammatory supplements over the years that have made it mostly livable. Now, thanks to our new show sponsor, Provenex, it's way more than livable. It's functional. It doesn't wake me up throbbing at night and I can actually wiggle the toe and lift it off the ground. My left hand that used to ache from where I broke it in a mountain bike crash 10 years ago, that doesn't ache anymore either. If I hadn't experienced this myself, I frankly wouldn't have believed it. And I was super skeptical when Prevenex approached me with their joint health product. But I stopped my other supplements, started this one, and within two weeks, the difference was remarkable. I honestly did not expect that. So I did a little research and the main ingredients, check out. First one is eggshell membrane, which contains collagen, glucosamine, conjointin, and hyaluronic acid all of which have shown significant benefits in early research. And the other ingredient, Boswellia serrata extract, was found to even be more effective than glucosamine in some studies, according to examine.com. Prevenix has an array of other supplements, including Omega Pure Plus, which is an omega-3 fatty acid supplement, which is sourced from wild omega-rich fish and is totally free of heavy metals and mercury that can build up in your body. That's a big deal. They also have a vegan protein powder, which I know a lot of our listeners are keen to find. And that product, Neurofi Plus, is low in sugar, high in branched chain amino acids, and contains probiotics and digestive enzymes that are super easy on the belly, which I really appreciate. So thanks to their sponsorship of this show, listeners can get 15% off their first time purchase by using the code HITPLAY at checkout. Again, you can go to Prevenex.com, that's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X, and use the code HITPLAY at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. And if you don't like it, the company offers a 100% money-back guarantee on all of their products within 30 days, no question asked. That's how much they stand by their products, and I can tell you, with good reason, they work. Check it out. Go to Prevenex.com. Use the code HITPLAY at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. All right. Chris and Connie, I am really excited to have you guys on the show because I know nothing. 
about dragon boat racing. I had no <laughs> idea it was a thing. I had never seen one. And now I am uh, completely intrigued with the whole thing. So we would not be here if it weren't for you, Chris, you reached out to me with your story. You told me you're a personal trainer who is in menopause and also a recent breast cancer survivor. And you needed an exercise hobby that would keep you going. And you found dragon boat racing. <laughs> and so I'm like, so many questions. I would have, you know, like if I were to fill in that blank, I would have thought she found Peloton or she found stand up paddleboarding or I don't know. Um, first, tell me like what your background is as far as like what you have done, you know, recreationally to that point. Sure. And then mm-hmm. how on earth you found before we start talking about what it actually is, how you found dragon boat racing. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is really a pleasure. Uh, a little bit of background. I, I have a, had a 30 year, uh, career in horticulture. And so about the time that I turned 50, and if you know anything about horticulture, uh, gardening, landscaping, it's pretty hard work. And so after I had 30 years in it, I, just decided that maybe I wanted to do something different. And uh, I went back to school and I, I want to say became a personal trainer. I mean, it wasn't that easy. There's a lot of education behind that. Um, What I discovered was uh, I really like lifting heavy things. And that comes in with the gardening part of it, you know, landscaping, you lift heavy trees, you do, you do that stuff. It's really hard work. But I really, really enjoyed it. That carried over into my uh, personal training career. What I, you know, focus on um, are uh, strength training with, uh, I want to say, older women. They're actually my age. And I understand. <laughs> we all do that. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's uh, me. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I have I have a couple of women in their 80s that are nice. deadlifting and doing you know, oh, traditional that. strength training stuff. So, uh, you know, we're not we're not power lifters. Um, one of the episodes just recently you had uh, was the wisdom behind the pack. Uh, that's kind of me anyway. Um, it, you know, we, we we do enough to get by and. Uh, you know, we just want to be able to carry water softener, you know, we're not going and competing and lifting 300 pounds, but, but we are, I focus on form. I love watching form. I am intrigued by how do you do a deadlift? How do you do a squat? How do you do all these things that um, will protect you from getting hurt? And so that's where I go in my personal training uh, and teaching women. Now, the downside to that, I don't do cardio. I, I run like an elephant. It's just not pretty. And I used to do, you know, recreational bike riding and all of that. But a handful of years ago, I had a detached retina that went into uh, several sur- surgeries, scar tissue. So I don't have good depth perception. So I kind of gave up the bike because I was just afraid that I was going to you know, hit gravel or something and go down. Um, so I kind of was still left with, you know, this cardio thing that I knew was really, really important. Um, I started doing rowing as in uh, concept two, you know, yeah, the rowing yeah, machines know. at the J. Oh, I'm familiar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like doing that. And 
you know, you get, you get into your intervals and you try to do 500 meters and then rest for a minute and 500 meters. And, you know, you, you go in and you start doing all these different intervals, kind of just playing around with your heart rate and all of that. And uh, well, but you're in one spot. And so I got not really bored, but I didn't needed another challenge. But bored. Yeah. <laughs> bored. Yeah. Um, so that kind of led me into doing kickboxing, which I really liked doing. Um, I loved the, the fact that I could just beat the crap out of a bag and kick at the same time, even though my leg didn't go up as high, you know, my form wasn't that great. Um, but, oh, my God, 45 minutes of that when you're in a room with a bunch of, you know, 20 and 30 year olds, it didn't matter. They were all very supportive. Um, and I, I just had such a great time doing it. And so that was fulfilling my cardio. And then along came October 2019. And that's when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, that's kind of a long story, but it's, it's an important one, but not, not really that important, right, for what we're talking about. Um, I had a very small tumor. And they went in and took the tumor out and one lymph node. And only because I had an Anki type score, and I don't know if you guys know what that is, but it's just a score that says, what's your likelihood of it returning? Mm -hmm. Mine was point higher than they were comfortable with. So what did that mean? That means I had to go through chemo. It wasn't just radiation, but I had to go through chemotherapy, the radiation and, uh, you know, and then all the things that are wrapped around that, uh, you know, you, you don't feel well and you lose your hair. And Connie, when you saw me, my hair was probably really curly. But that was kind of a, a six to eight months haul. Two weeks as before I finished radiation was what was that March of 2020? Well, we know what happened in 2020. The whole country shut down. So, so about the time I was feeling good, ready to get back into, you know, the gym, uh, you know, still searching for my, my, my cardio, if you will. Uh, we were all stuck at home. Well, still being an active gardener, I just dove into, you know, upgrading my gardens and you know I dug a French drain that was like 150 feet long and you know that was a tremendous a lot of work but um but that in itself kept my cardio it kept me you know heart healthy if you will um so things started opening up I went back to work kind of was back on the rower off and on uh doing lots of walks trying to trying to speed walk still recovering but you know, getting, getting my life back in order. And I was sitting on the couch. Uh, it was wintertime. I, it was, you know, must've been, you know, November or January, um, 2021 going, okay, what am I going to do for my cardio? It's so important. I, you know, I'd already gone back to lifting weights and, you know, was, was, was pretty, pretty good about, my workout except for that cardio 
it hit me like, I don't know, just these things come out of the blue sometimes. But I had had a client uh, five, six, seven years ago. And I remember her telling me that she was part of a breast cancer survivor dragon boat racing team. And at the time, I remember Googling it, seeing the boat going, oh, that's nice. And then we moved on. Never crossed my mind again until that day when I was on the couch. And I just, you know, I had my laptop doing what, what I do when I watch TV, which is not pay attention to the TV, but, you know, Google. <laughs> All of us. Yeah. Yeah. And I just Googled, you know, dragon book, breast cancer survivor, whatever in Minneapolis, because I am in, in Minneapolis and uh, it, the dragon diva came up and I'm like, I'll be dang. So I, you know, they had a, do, you know, do you want to join? And I quickly filled out the form and like literally the next day, uh, Mary Scribepeck, who is the founder of our team called me. And she starts filling me in on the history of Dragon Divas and, and the history of why, why uh, breast cancer uh, and Dragon Boat Racing, you know, why they were connected. Mm -hmm. And what I learned was, you know, the myth of anybody who had ever had breast cancer was not supposed to do anything strenuous with their upper body. The fear of uh, lymphedema mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and a variety of other little things, you know, they figured that anything strenuous was going to, you know, cause that to set in. And in 1996, um, a researcher, Dr. Don McKenzie, he's out of uh, uh, Canada. Well, he did the research on this and he kind of proved that not only did dragon boat racing or any, it was about strenuous upper body exercise. He chose dragon boat racing because it's all upper body and strenuous. Um, and what came out of that was that it didn't, it didn't lead to lymphedema. And not only that, but the women got stronger. Uh, they felt better because they were healthier they had a team so they had all these women together and you know what happens when you you have a team that's all working together and it was just nothing but positive outcomes from that research so that was in 1996 i'm pretty sure that's when it was um my the founder of my team the dragon divas had gone to a seminar in 2005 and had listened to um, a seminar about Dr. McKenzie's research. Well, she's a breast cancer survivor, but she's also a physical therapist. She came back to the cities with this grand idea of, I want to create a team. There wasn't a team in Minneapolis, St. Paul, where Minneapolis, St. Paul, or, you know, we're together. Um, so she just started kicking around that idea that she wanted to get a team going in the twin cities here. And she hooked up with a man, Ron Soplin, who 
was part of the Fort Dodge, Iowa Dragging Boat Festival. He had just recently been transferred to the Twin Cities, and he was willing to help her take the steps to get a team here in the city. They started out with eight women doing this, and they got a boat. And the story is back then, 2006, I think, that it was one boat and eight women. Now, here we are in 2020, and they have 80 women on the team and own two boats. They don't rent them. They don't do anything. They own two boats. They have gone to international competitions. And like you know, mentioning to Connie, uh, we do pretty well, you know. Um, they're... We're, we're always in the breast cancer division of Dragon Boat. So let me be clear. Uh, there are a lot of different categories for, you know, these, these races. We're always in the breast cancer uh, division. So so how, how many women are in a boat? And then I want to hear a little bit more about, like, what that was like for you for the first time you, you did this. Oh, like how, yeah. how did the, how do you like, do you just sit in the boat and they like, here's your, here's your, is it an oar? Is it a rod? What the heck is it? I don't know. Like, what are you, you know, like, yeah. what, what was that? What was that like? I, um, first off, it was amazing. I mean, I, when we're putting the boats in the water and I was at my very first event and the event was putting the boats in the water, they pull up with this uh, trailer and the boats are 40 foot long, I think, is that right, Connie? About 47, 47. Long. They're stacked on a trailer, you know, one on top of the other. And you can't even get them down a boat dock, you know? So they they get this little, uh, like a, a lift that you will take engines out of cars and lift one up and bring it down. And then the women will carry it into the water. And, you know, so, so we kind of went through that process. Um, we then paddled the boats over to where the boats will be docked. And I, I know there's some, some holes, there, but. How the, many the women per, per boat? There's 20 women in a boat. Okay. There's 20 women in a boat. Then we have a steer who is the person that stands, stands in the back with the steer or I don't know how long that is, but uh, the steer or it's just a really long oar. And then sometimes you'll have a drummer sitting in the front of the boat, which will do the calls and Connie can address that part a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, but I, the first time you get in the boat, you're just like, oh my God, what do I do? The first time you start paddling, you want to paddle like you would a kayak or a canoe. Right, right, right. And, and that's not the way you do it. And I will say getting past that first time, you know, just getting boats in the water. The first time I actually got in the boat where we were going to go out um, and we, we have this fabulous coach, Michael. He's just, he's so adorable. I just think the world of him. He's so kind to all of us. Uh, but he started briefly talking about, how you need to, to, to actually take a stroke, which is mm -hmm. really quite different than any uh, canoeing or kayaking. And 
I was so a couple of things, you know, I'm, I'm a fanatic about form. So I was so focused on what he had to say and how to, to, to do it. But the other components to that, which were even more touching is I'm in a boat with 20 women that have all had breast cancer. There's so much support going on there. It doesn't matter what your skill level is for our team. You get to be in that boat. You have a right to be in that boat. And there are women who have never done any kind of sports and we're all there to support them. And that's really, really, uh, it, it touches your heart. Um, the other thing about that is we're in a big boat in this beautiful lake and it's so beautiful. And a lot of times our, our, our um, practices are more towards the evening mm-hmm. and we always stop out in the middle of the water and do a little attitude of gratitude mm-hmm. and it's peaceful. You're on the water. It's like, it's just touching. It's just so overwhelming. Um, and that's just for the practices. I mean, and then when we really start learning, you know, what it's like to paddle nonstop for 200 meters, 250 meters, 400 meters, uh, if you can imagine going as hard as you possibly can for, let's say, two minutes and 15 seconds, two minutes and a half, you know, uh, you're pretty, pretty tired. I knew I had found the cardio sport that I was going to love. I couldn't breathe. It's, mm-hmm. it's just, there was no rest. I mean, you had to keep going. Um, yeah, it's just, I, I'm, I'm just sold on it. That's awesome. I'm going to loop you in here, Connie, to talk a little yeah. bit about it as, as, our, as our coach here. Um, so you have a whole company, Dragon Boat Training, right? I do. Uh, yeah. Um, how did you get into the sport? Um, I was recruited while teaching a water fitness class um, in 1992. Um, the coach uh, that formed the club that I still am a member of was looking for smaller strong women, um, and decided that I was that, um, I, I, I really want to kind of go a little to where Chris went. I am a pre-title nine girl who was raised in rural Iowa. I had mm-hmm. no sports. Mm-hmm. It was not, you, you could play half court women's basketball in the very first coach <laughs> that I had. God forbid you have a full court. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Cause you know, running. you should never do that running thing. If you're a woman, mm-hmm. um, first coach I ever, you know, kind of thought I might try that suggested that I would make a good team manager. And of course I never tried out again. Um, and I was 14 at the time, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I was an active kid, but I had no organized sport. So I came to the sport with no sports background whatsoever. Um, and I like Chris showed up for a practice, not entirely sure what I was getting into and went home with a face that hurt from smiling. Um, and I was hooked. It was, yeah. It's my sport. I've been since 1992. I have um, wow. competed and coached and paddled continuously and on every continent of the world except Antarctica. I'm just waiting for them to get a race. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you guys see my eyes just bucking out of my head. Okay. So, um, so, so many questions. But, but you told me that you had established 
because this is going to lead into my other questions. The first women's dragon boat crew in Portland, and you named it Power Surge. Yeah, the first, right, the first Masters Masters women. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, Masters yeah. women. So, um, because you wanted yeah. to highlight the skill of these, these I did. 40 plus yeah. menopausal sort of. Yep, exactly women. right. And, and, and then, yeah, why? So, like, what is it about the sport? Like, what? I think Chris made a point. It's very accessible to everyone. But mm-hmm. when I formed Power Surge, by the way, that's what we called it. We had a sticker that said they are not um, hot flashes. They're power surges um, that we all we had. Um, it was specifically designed to highlight the fact that a lot of times a plus 40 woman has more control over her life than she had previous to that. She has more time. Potentially, her career is sometimes a little more settled. Kids are maybe a little bit older or gone. Um, so, and there's a little more disposable income sometimes. So, and the International Dragon Boat Federation had established in international racing the 40 plus women or 40 plus division of racing. As Chris was saying, there's a lot of divisions. Um, But what I specifically was looking for, and I was looking over my recruitment stuff today, is we, I specifically said, I want competitive paddlers. So as opposed to a team where anyone can join, this one was not. It was specifically designed for women that were willing to put in the work and be as as good as they could be and not need to compete with 20 and 30 year olds for seats. And I love to brag about this team because we beat the majority of 20 and 30 year olds that we went against in our racing career. Um, And part of it is, you know, Celine, it's the focus. Um, A post-menopausal or menopausal woman needs the exercise. Goodness knows we feel better if we've got it. But we also have that capacity to say, okay, it's it's not going to come easy to me, but I'm willing to put the work in. And the work really pays off. It was an incredibly successful team. So what does that work look like? Like I have no, I mean, A, I still don't entirely know. I know that there's 20 women. Are you side by side? Do you each just like have a, have a, is it a paddle? Is that what you call yep, it? On it's each a paddle. Side? So and how a- heavy is that apparatus? Is it attached to the boat or is it free? Can I do whatever okay. with it? Yeah. So it is, the crews are 22 Uh, The racing crews are 22, as Chris was saying. We sit side by side, facing forward, not backwards. Okay. It is a very ancient Chinese sport, over 2,000 years old. There's a lot. I think I sent you some stuff about the history, which is kind of interesting. Um, The paddles are, they'll go any place from a wooden paddle that kind of might look like a paddle you'd use in a canoe, but is not. Um, mm-hmm. to $350 uh, carbon fiber paddles, which most <laughs> right, of, of us use at the level that we compete in. Um, they are not attached to the boat. And it is in, in, if you think about team sports, it is one of the very few, the only one I really know of other than rowing, where you do, our, our 20 people do exactly the same thing at exactly the same time in order to be successful. Um, it is a rotational, a rotation driven stroke um, that uh, has a lot of work in your core and your legs um, uh, with stability through the upper body, as Chris was saying, in the arms more like 
lever pieces um, to transfer the work. Are uh, your feet into, fixed? Are they pressed feet, against something? They are, yeah, they are on the bottom of the boat or pressed against a little uh, lip that is okay. formed on the bottom of the boat. So you've got something to push against. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So you can drive that hip rotation. Um, so in terms of working into it for a competitive crew, the paddling isn't your exercise. You're getting your, your you come in with a cardio load already there. Um, and we certainly work to, to increase and improve that and to work um, on uh, the anaerobic part, how you manage anaerobic work, as Chris was saying, um, and some strength. So there is, so, you know, we look for our paddlers to work outside of the boat in addition to the work that they get in the boat. But across the sport, if you look at the sport at large, which, as I say, is ex accessible, universally accessible, there is not anyone I have ever worked with who can't do this. They can, you can teach them how to be successful here. Um, so you don't have to have all that to start this and you don't have to have a strong upper body. You have to understand and you work toward how do you use your core and legs in such a way that you can transfer that work um, to the hull. You know, we don't actually paddle we don't put the paddle in the water and move it. We put the paddle in the water and move the hull forward. Right, right. So what is the, what does that cross training look like? What does that out of the boat training look like? Um, it's some, choosing some kind of cardio uh, to train outside the boat, walking, running, biking, swimming, uh, rowing, something. You need to, you know, again, in, in terms of competitive team, that's what you're looking for. Or in terms of a team like Chris's, what they'll be is working to get their, their members that want to be more competitive to find that piece, to find that extra training. And then some kind of strength training. I specifically did fitness classes because I'm, I'm not a great gym girl and it's not something I really enjoy. So I did fitness classes and swimming and running to keep myself in a condition to be able to compete at that level. Um, but I think, you know, go wrapping it all, all the way back it's choices and that's what menopausal women can make is choices about how they're gonna work um and what level of work are they willing to put in because it isn't the same as when you're 20 you can't pretend it is it isn't so what does that mean and that's the women that i found were women that were incredibly enthusiastic about that and Chris, what, what do you, what outside of the boat work do you do? I know you uh, left. Yeah. Yeah. Mainly lifting. Uh, still like doing the, the, the concept to the rower and the gym. Uh, I do a lot of walking. I still am not a runner. I, I, I stick with that. I run like an elephant. It just is not pretty and it doesn't feel good. Um, but mainly it's just, the rowing and the walking, trying to walk fast. Mm -hmm. um, How do you figure out who's, who's where in the boat? Is there, is there some sort of hierarchy? Um, not a hierarchy so much as the coach makes a decision. Uh, there are body types that fit in the boat because the boat tapers on each end. So okay. it's a little wider in the middle and it's a little less wide at the ends. Um, so there are body types that fit. 
But there's also um, a great deal of attitudes. Some attitudes work better in certain seats. Um, the, what does my, that mean? Well, uh, in the back of the boat, the water is moving pretty quickly by. So um, I believe as a coach, that is the most challenging technical part of the boat. Mm. And it, it uh, needs a tiger, somebody who's going to go after the water and find that water that will allow them to move the hull. So it's just an example. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's coaching decisions. And then it's, it's who you've got on that day at practice, right? Who fits and And I, as a coach, lots of times in the, in the seasons when we weren't racing, made sure that everyone in the whole boat sat in every seat throughout a season. So we could see, wow, who knew that they were going to work out in bench four, but that's a perfect bench for them. So um, again, very accessible. Who's keeping the rhythm? The lead strokes and or the drummer. If there is a, uh, if it's a novice team with not a lot of practice time, then the drummer will often uh, keep that beat and the team stays with the drummer. In the case of a competitive team, the lead strokes work together, the four lead strokes, two benches, both one and two, work together with the drummer um, to have an effective rate for the team. And you get so you can feel what that is where the team is per performing at their absolute best, all 20 of them. And that is the rate you go for. Um, we also have to look for sustainability. It is an anaerobic sport, but uh, say 500 meters or our longest race is 2000 meters. It's a round race with turns. Um, you've got to be sure you're putting, giving a rate to those paddlers that they can sustain that power throughout that amount of time. So, Chris, you kind of raised your hand there. Like, um, are you somebody oh, who does some of the this, rhythm in the boat? I, <laughs> so as a newbie, um, I was originally put towards the back of the boat, which I think we all are until we figure out how to do the stroke. And then uh, I, I'm not sure, Connie, if it was you or somewhere along the line, I got moved to the front. Uh, so then consistently I have been in row one or row two, which, which learning to be a stroker. And, um, you know, I kept being told, no, we're just trying you out. We're just trying you out. However, in the Bemidji race, I was one of the, <laughs> the one of the uh, strokers in the front. And so, you know, that may be where I'm best at because I, even though I'm watching and, and that's the thing, whenever you are all, you know, trying to, to keep the rate at the same, um, I'm watching the gal next to me, you know, being in the front. Um, all the gals behind you are looking ahead at, you know, the five or six people. You better be putting your arm down at the exact same time so that that rate remains the same. And part of my job was being in row one or row two was to make sure I kept the rate the same. Right. Um, you know, we all have to be in sync or it just doesn't work. And so I laugh because I always wanted to be in the back because I thought I was a strong gal. I wanted to be down, you know, digging for water and really just pulling mm. and, you know, moving the hull forward. And instead, I have found that I'm more in the front as a stroker trying to keep the beat for everyone. So it, it, it's, it's interesting to know that you have all of those women 
and you have to you have to figure it out where you're all having your paddle go in exactly at the same time. They have to come out at the same time and go up and down at the same time. So, um, is it yeah. um, is it a quick turnover or is it a longer stroke? It is a pretty. We are a um, a sprint sport, so it's a pretty quick turnover. The uh, the World Championship Chinese women paddle at a stroke rate of 120 a minute. Wow. Um, most of, and so you can't even see their paddles moving. That's most wild. Of, yeah, most of our teams, uh, most women's teams compete between 62 and 72 strokes a minute. That's mm-hmm. still a lot in mm-hmm, a minute mm-hmm, to do to mm-hmm. all together at the same time. So sure it's a is. relatively sh- short stroke. It doesn't come back past your hip. Um, okay. Uh, and as soon as there is no positive pressure on the blade, then the, the stroke starts again at the front. Is it a male dominated sport? Uh, there's a really good question. I think it is certainly internationally. Um, yes and no. The, 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 probably the bulk of the teams in the U.S. and Canada are mixed. So mm-hmm. it's uh, 10 women, 10 men, um, or open where it's anybody. Um, but across, especially across the uh, United States, there's quite, I would say there are more women's teams in the U.S. than there are mixed or um, men's teams. That's um, pretty cool. Yeah, women have just, it, it feels good, as Chris said, it feels good. So, and I, um, and I think we really have the capacity to own that team thinking. Um, if you decide to put your head down and do this all by yourself, you're not um, an asset to the team. Um, it's, you know, really understanding that dynamic of everyone working together and everyone doing and giving to the team all that they have and all that they are in that racing experience. And then feeling so good knowing that regardless of where you finish, you did it as well as you could. Um, so that's certainly my coaching philosophy is maybe doesn't, um, doesn't match everybody else's, but that's really the way I feel about the sport. Yeah, that's, that that's cool. Uh, what do the, what do the races look like? Are they, uh, are they many boats lined up or is it head to head and you do rounds or a little bit of everything? Yeah, it's um, the, they run, we run in nine foot wide lanes. Uh, that would be the standard lane. If you go to a little regatta someplace, they aren't going to be super standard. Up to eight, eight to ten boats across, all starting okay. at the same time, is is a big regatta course. Oftentimes, it's it's substantially less than that. Other than the two thousand meter race, these are straight on races. We race in a straight line down the middle of our lane um, and cross a line. Uh, that is a timed line. Generally, there is a type of dragon boating, Taiwanese dragon boating, where at the end of the race, a person crawls out over the head of the dragon and catches a flag off a, <laughs> a flag stand, which is pretty dramatic and I, you know, pretty fun. Um, that is not the really international standard uh, racing, but but it is still fun. And, and in Taiwan, they still do a lot of flag catching racing. Cool. And then 
you said that sometimes you're steering like when when is when does that yeah, come into there's always a, a, a helm in the back of the boat and chris was referencing um they they hold a blade that's about 10 feet long probably the thing that most people would would equate it to is a gondola paddle so yeah. it's a long blade it is um it sits in a housing that's on the left side of the boat is not fixed to the boat except in taiwanese style boats um and that person's job is to safely get the team down the middle of the lane in a nice straight line um, gotcha. and following all the rules. But they are crucial to team safety, um, absolutely crucial to team safety. You cannot practice and or race without a good steer. Um, and the Divas have a great one, just a great steer. Is that just a special, does somebody just decide that they want to specialize in being the steerer? Like how sometimes, sometimes there are, but other times teams will teach a number of people to steer oh, okay. so that on a given night, you know, you don't have to pat, you don't have to steer every night. You can get your paddling in right. um, if that's what you want to do. So kind of depends. Generally racing steers are uh, specialized enough that they'll, they'll tend to just stay in a steering seat um, a lot of the time because they get really good at what they do. And so they are, um, people are looking for them to get them down the course correctly. And the races are relatively short as far as time. Uh, 200 meters, 500 meters, and 2000 meters are the standard distances. Uh, 200 meter race will uh, take you 90 seconds or less. The uh, 500 meter race is about, as Chris was saying, about 215 to 230. Um, depending, again, we don't compete in the same water all the time. So if you have a tidal influence, if we have wind, those can be longer. And a 2000 meter race goes between nine and 11 minutes. What's your favorite, Chris? Um, probably, probably the, like a 500 meter, 400 meter. Um, you know, it, it's just long enough to where you really feel like you've gotten a workout, mm -hmm. uh, you know, but um, but it's not so long that, you know, you just feel like you're going to die at the end of it. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, Connie, you're talking about what, nine minutes doing that? That's a long time. Between nine oh, and 11 minutes. Yeah. I just, oh, I just can't even imagine paddling oh. that hard for nine to 11 minutes. And of course, you adjust your rate. Um, right you know, to accommodate whatever the distance is. Uh, right. But it's still a really hard thing to do. Um, and in my particular team, we just don't, we don't train to do that long of a race. So, How fast are the boats going when you're, when you're moving along? Goodness mm. sakes. I don't think I can quote you that. I honestly don't. No. No, I, I mean, I look at GPSs all the time, but I don't have a number in my head. Because you're starting from a standstill, I assume. Dead stop. Yep, dead yeah. stop. Dead Is there stop. an anchor or you're just like sort of stopped floating and it, then you have to? It depends on the racing venue. The sophisticated high-end international racing venues have hydraulic start gates, similar okay. to that. that are used at a, a horse race. And right, you put right. the nose of the boat in there, they drop the gate and you go. Um, at local festivals, it's usually somebody on the side kind of lining you up. And then right. doing a horn, a one yeah. thing. we had one race where they fired a cannon um, and you go from there and then you finish on a, a set of buoys that are in the, in the waterway. 
um, at the distance that you're racing toward. But I, I, I do know that, you know, I don't know how fast we're going, but I know at that rate, you know, our warm up rate is like uh, 60 strokes. Mm -hmm. um, we will quite often, Michael had us uh, practicing in that 70, 75, and even closer to 80 occasionally, which is pretty nice, but, but it, it, it's good training. Yeah, that's, that's a, uh, do you, uh, are you left-handed or right-handed with this? Like, does it matter which side? No, no, okay. it doesn't. Um, it, uh, there are certainly, it, 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 now, if you go to a breast, if you think about breast cancer survivors, sometimes there will be, because of the surgeries, especially when, women that had their surgeries 40, 50 years ago, sometimes there'll be a side that works better for them. Um, and, and honestly, race, racers, coaches, you know, coaches like I am that choose teams to race, we'll watch and figure out which side we feel a person is most effective on or um, is the best match for the rest of the team on. But there's no, you know, it isn't like if you're left-handed, you have to sit on the left or if you're right, you have to sit on the right. And it's a more balanced workout. And I know that Michael does this because I have worked with Michael for years. Um, during practices, we move our people side to side through the whole practice, you know, every five to 10 minutes. Right. So that their bodies get a balanced workout. I was wondering really about that important. because yeah, if you're really always important. on one side of the boat, it seems like that could be problematic over time. Not, <laughs> not good for you. Not yeah. good for you. And I think, you know, if we were talking a moment ago about masters paddlers of, of any gender, um, you and Chris was speaking earlier about lifting form, it becomes even more important as we are aging that our form is what we focus on. So it isn't how fast I can go with that stroke. It's how I can effectively transfer energy without getting injured. Um, mm -hmm. And so, in fact, one of the things that shifted when I started teaching and coaching masters women is uh, oftentimes young teams will take two or three months off in winter. I mean, completely off. They don't do anything. With a master's team, we found that what we needed was we needed that sustained work because we can peak high, but it's a, it's a steeper hill to get back to that kind of shape when you're 40 plus. Right. Right. Yeah. I know that maintenance is, is important with all these, with all the sports. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. How does someone like if my listeners are like, wow, that sounds so awesome and cool. How do you even, I mean, I, I looked it up. There's one in Philly. So I know that there's some close to me, but how does somebody like access this? You know, um, there are, t it's a, there's a surprising number of teams in a surprising number of silly uh, cities. And in fact, Philadelphia has uh, a number of extremely strong dragon boat teams um, that would be accessible, but really <laughs> I hate to do this, but Google it in your yeah, area no, and, yeah. and there will be, or, you know, reach out to me at, at uh, dragon boat training and I'll help you find someone. Um, there's a team. And if there's not, and this is something you want to do, you do what the founder of dragon divas did. You just power it forward. And once there is a boat 
there will be teams. It's kind of like if you build it, they will come um, mm-hmm. is what I have seen over my 30 year career. Yeah. Um, somebody, somebody moves from a city uh, that had a team and then there's not in one that you move to, but you want to do it. So you make it happen. Um, and the, the breast cancer survivor teams. And I did, by the way, start my coaching career in 1992 with a breast cancer, with breast cancer survivors. Um, they have the power to fundraise uh, mm-hmm. that uh, for the boats. Is, like, where do the boats come from? Um, they come from all over the world. A lot of them are manufactured in Asia um, and then shipped in. Um, but there are some local molds as well that are U.S. made. Uh, and they're not quite as many. No, they are uh, fiberglass. They're fiberglass. Oh, okay. okay. The there there are a few still in in Vancouver. I think there may still be a few teak boats. You can imagine what forty seven <laughs> feet of teak would weigh. Um, but the most of them now are fiberglass boats, okay. and they're just like. Um, in, in any kind of racing where you use a vessel, they all are weighed previous to mm-hmm. a regatta. So they mm-hmm. all weigh the same so mm-hmm. that we're all racing with the same kind of rate. And they do, by the way, fully loaded weight um, about a ton. So it's a lot of weight to move. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Need strong women. Yeah, well, <laughs> we got that. We got that. Well, this has been super delightful. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to make sure that our audience heard about this? This cool I, sport? I, I do want to be sure that, and I think Chris would agree with me that, that people realize how accessible it is and how good it feels to compete in that kind of team setting. It is the ultimate team setting. Um, and as Chris was talking about, uh, in, and not just in BCS, but in any of this kind of racing, the camaraderie is remarkable. It's just remarkable. Um, and so don't, don't give, don't be afraid to try. Just don't be afraid to try. Come out and give it a try. If it's not for you, that's cool, but you just don't know. Um, so I guess I want to say that before we close. You guys are so infectious. <laughs> you can really tell how much you love this sport. It's very, it's very cool. Uh, I appreciate you sharing it with us. And thank you, Chris, for reaching out. My pleasure. I, I'm just happy to do it. It's let me incredible. let me know if you're ever going to be at Philadelphia racing. <laughs> I'll, I'll come down and cheer. Yeah, absolutely. We do. We do. Yeah. Uh, teams travel and divas travel. Um, of course, 2020 and 2021 have oh. been, you know, exceptional years for staying close to home and being sure we're all safe. But yeah, as I said, I have competed on every continent in the world um, in a dragon boat, except awesome. for Antarctica. So yeah, that in one, in fact, one of the things, if you ask people what they really love about the sport is the travel, because you're traveling with at least 22 of your best friends. So it's awesome. It's awesome. Okay, that's our show. Join me next week when I have a fairly raucous conversation with pelvic floor specialist Amy Hill Fife. Amy talks about how to tell if you're a leaky Leslie or a lockdown Donna and gives one of the most insightful and entertaining discussions of pelvic floor health I've ever been party to. So come on back for that one. And until then, 
as always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, and please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends, and please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. Stay feisty.